Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Hello and welcome to the latest NAM Talks. As always, I'd just like to let you know that if you have any questions, you can always contact us via our corporate email, which is nordeafunds at nordea.com. Right. Today's topic will focus on the one segment of the bond market that has historically outperformed other sectors during periods of higher than average interest rates, such as we're witnessing now. So. Where is the current sweet spot and how can investors take advantage of this opportunity? To find out, I'm joined by senior European fixed income specialist Fabio Angelini. Good morning, Fabio. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, everyone. So, Fabio, for a number of years, we've been talking about European covered bonds as being a great opportunity for investors. But there's another part of the same playing field that we feel is increasingly attractive and that's European financial debt. So could you just start by explaining a little bit about this asset class? Yes, absolutely. And as you said, we're actually starting from, you know, something we've been talking about a lot of times, this cover bond part. And we basically stay, as you said, in the same playing field. We just go a little bit lower in the capital structure. And what I mean is that our, uh, our viewers and listeners know that the cover bond are the safest part of the capital structure of a bank. But there is much more into uh, banks' uh, capital structure. And if you go a little bit lower, you can definitely reach a part that is looking very attractive, uh, if you ask us today, and that's the subordinated layer of the capital structure. Now, of course, a bank will actually have many layers. The safest is covered bonds, then there are seniors, and then there are subordinated bonds, which is a quite complex area, uh, it's quite complex, complex segment of debt. Um, and of course, there are many technicalities, but the point is, the lower you go in the capital structure, the higher are the risks and the opportunities. So you can definitely see that the lower you go in the capital structure, there has been higher volatility historically on this kind of securities, but also higher returns and, and returns potential. So it's definitely something that can be attractive to add a little bit of spice and starting from the same uh, issuing entity, which is still a bank, uh, or in this case, an insurance company. So. As you just mentioned there, there's a, obviously a link between these two debt instruments. I guess the natural question is then whether there's any overlap you know, here at Nordea between the European financial debt and European covered bond teams. There is definitely a very important overlap. And the reason for this is basically is that the bank is only one. So we have one assessment of the bank and that is done by our credit team. There is also the team that is managing the subordinated bond uh, portfolio, subordinated financial debt portfolios, which is extremely natural uh, to be because typically when you go lower in the capital structure and you look at subordinated debt, then you're looking at bonds that do not have a collateral as opposed to cover bonds. So cover bonds, of course, uh, there is much more into the analysis of the collateral. That's what typically does, uh, what, what typically our uh, cover bond team is doing. Then. The bank assessment, the credit assessment, and the investment in the subordinated part is instead done by our credit team. But that's one single assessment that we use across our uh, investment platform in financials, uh, if you wish. So yes, very strong tie and very strong uh, overlap. That's what we do for once into the 
uh, analysis of the issuers actually. So if we just zoom out a bit, I think it would be useful to put European financial debt into a broader context and look at where it sits you know, within the wider fixed income universe, if that's uh, something that you could uh, address for us now. Absolutely. And actually, financial debt is by itself a very big investment universe, and you can get creative with it because you can actually focus on many different you can, you can go into this asset class from many different angles. So it's, it's pretty big and also pretty complex. Now, the way we actually go about this is uh, looking for high yield type of returns. And that's also where, uh, that, that's what we're, what we're talking about today. We're talking about definitely high yield type of returns. Imagine uh, high yield, uh, just, uh, just like a traditional high yield uh, levels when it comes to, to yield, in fact. And then, um, on top of it, we are talking about something that today is basically ranking up with the most yieldy part of the of the market, but still, it's probably very well positioned to be attractive and a competitive uh, focus uh, within credit markets uh, in a more general in more general terms. And what I mean is that um, financials. This is something we have heard many times, and it's definitely a very a very actually a very important topic is normally they benefit from high interest rates um, and you can see throughout data and history that typically they perform better than other sectors when rates are going up and they also perform better than other sectors when interest rates are above average very much like today and that's why i think it is so interesting today because uh, you get the yield that is clearly attractive and that's something that i yield markets in general are offering but you're getting there with a focus that makes a lot of sense from a tactical point of view. You're looking at businesses that typically uh, are doing very well uh, and better than other sectors. They actually have means to do better than other sectors when interest rates are above average. And there is actually also another thing, which is we mentioned before, going down in the capital uh, structure uh, of a bank comes with uh, risks and of course also opportunities. The point here uh, is that today there is a very strong credit quality into uh, this kind of issuers. And that means that basically you get to buy a business model that works well in the current environment. You get this high yield type of uh, remuneration for the risk you're taking, and you're also buying into high credit quality. So you're not placing a bet, say, uh, on, on uh, or, or a speculative type of bets where you look at a distressed issuer and then you go and try to harvest return for something that is very, is very risky. Of course, the risk is there as measured also by volatility, but we are looking at something where there is credit quality. Specifically, here we're talking about banks and insurance companies. There are a lot of ways to measure credit quality, balance sheet quality of these institutions. I think for banks, the important thing to mention is that they've been essentially getting ready for a recession that seems to be what, what Europe is going into in the, in the near future, they have basically been preparing for a recession since 2009. And you can clearly see in banks' balance sheet that they have decreased over time quite significantly to a very visible extent non-performing loan exposure, for example. Of course, you need to know where you put your hands, and that's, I guess, why uh, we are also running a financial debt portfolio. But in general, credit quality has improved over time, and NPLs are currently very low on top of the fact that banks are provisioning always for, for NPLs, also for the future. Sorry, Fabio, could I just interrupt you quickly? You mentioned NPL, that's non-performing loans, right? 
yes, NPLs is non-performing long, so sorry for, for using acronyms, I guess. Uh, we always uh, you know, use the shortcuts, but yes. So um, banks have definitely improved uh, the worst part or the most critical part of their uh, balance sheet. Insurance companies, they're actually e looking even stronger. Typically, they have capitalization, so they, they actually have amounts of uh, funds and equity to make up for losses, if losses materialize, that are much bigger than what banks uh, actually have in the balance sheet. So just imagine that the average, average insurance company in Europe holds roughly twice as much in uh, regulatory own funds and capital compared to uh, the regulatory minimum. That's actually a lot, twice as much. More than banks, still very profitable business, especially today. That's something we like, especially when we get a little bit of yield for investing there. There was something that you were talking about at the beginning of, of your answer, and, and I'd just like to come back to it quickly, because we've seen flows this year coming into this strategy. And it, interestingly, a lot of those clients are you know, not really wanting exposure to high yield. They feel uncomfortable doing that. And so they're Euro using um, European financial debt as an alternative. Yes, absolutely. We actually have our own, our own way to manage the portfolio, of course. And uh, specifically, we actually do it, by the way, with quite a decent weight into uh, investment grade. So we're not only talking about high yield, despite generating high type of returns. Um, but as you said, clients that have been moving to these kind of strategies, they are not necessarily investors that are particularly positive on credit markets. Maybe they are even cautious uh, on the current economic situation, but they are simply liking financials more than others. So we touched on interest rates right at the beginning. And of course, the rate rises that we're seeing um, are linked to central banks trying to combat inflation. I guess that this inflation means that fixed income investors uh, need to hunt out higher yields. Yes, absolutely. At least if you target a positive real yield. And I think today, if you look at numbers, say government bonds, they're basically yielding close to, say, around 3% on average. That's also more or less inflation expectation for 2023, which means you're looking at a flat to null uh, real yield, which is also very good, by the way, because it has been lower or negative in the past. But in general, if you want a positive real yield, you need to look for something that is yielding a little bit more, 7 8%. That's more or less the level uh, we're talking in high yield financials, for example. And then it means you're definitely looking here at something that is providing a, a pretty decent uh, real yield while making sense as, a, as, a, as an asset class, as we said. Fabio, maybe it would be good if you could now um, show us how European financial debt has historically performed compared to some of the better known fixed income um, alternatives. Sure, I think that's actually a very good way to uh, visualize also what you could get uh, in, uh, versus the risk in this kind of asset class. I think if you look at, at history, then you definitely, you can rank up things uh, on risk. And I think a very typical way to do it would be to go, you know, to see what you get on government bonds, investment grade bonds, high bonds, and then uh, in this case, financials. And what you see is that typically over time, there are uh, government bonds that are delivering definitely something, uh, but lower than higher risk alternatives. Then you get investment grade typically, um, high yield has been a super competitive asset class. They've delivered very good returns historically with volatility that was not uh, so much higher compared to other uh, segments or, or, or asset classes. And then if you try to locate high yield financials, for example, in the picture, 
you would actually see that over the longer term, they have outperformed the yield market, the broader yield market, with maybe a little bit more volatility, but they have outperformed the broader yield market, which is quite exceptional because uh, keep in mind that the yield market typically over the longer term is outperforming 90% of the active yield fund in the category for many reasons, because they don't track transaction costs or not, not uh, in, a, in a particularly sizable way. But in general, what I'm trying to say is just financials have definitely delivered very, very uh, competitive performance. And, and by the way, when I say uh, yield type of returns, despite uh, investment grade allocation, we have actually delivered a little bit better even than the broader European aid market, while at the same time holding uh, investment grade paper. So that's a little bit how, uh, how, how things are looking from, from this angle. So, you know, what you've been showing there are, are the indices. Can't investors just go out and buy the index then? Well, the short answer is yes. Uh, I think uh, also ETF providers uh, have become pretty um, prolific in, you know, offering um, ETF strategies that were actually meant to focus on financials, sometimes even on niche parts of the financial investment universe. So yes, you could buy an index. The problem with this is actually that the index is not necessarily what you want to buy, at least if you ask us. And I'll make an example here. If you look at a Euro financial yield index, which is the one that delivered the best performance, uh, as we've seen uh, before in the longer term, then actually inside that index, you also find potentially pretty risky stuff. Greek banks, for example, tend to be relatively sizable into this index um, and then in any way impactful on the performance of the index. But there are also all other things that are end up being grouped into the index and maybe it's not exactly what you think you're looking at. For example, there have been times in which there have been Chinese asset managers issuing in euro into the index. There are cases like uh, the, the specific case was a player that defaulted and then was recapitalized by the Chinese government. So the bond went everywhere from 20 to 100 and were, was very impactful from, from the index when it was dropping, when it was recovering. There are debt collectors, quite a few of them. Some are even famous, like there is, this, um, there is a Spanish debt collector that was one of the biggest mover in the last few years. First, because it did very well, then it was convicted for usury uh, and lost a lot. So again, we've actually delivered better than this index without buying into all these kind of things that is not necessarily first thing that comes to mind when you say financial debt, credit quality into banks and so on and so forth. So yes, you could buy an index. We actually have less than 10% in overlap with the index because we want to use selection to put our money or the money we manage for investors where we think it makes most sense. So we've been talking about you know, passive ETFs, but presumably there aren't too many active managers in this space. Is there anything that sort of makes us a bit different compared to our competitors? Yeah, actually, the, it's a big investment universe. And you're right, there are not too many, but there are a few. I think um, it's actually uh, the, the style of the manager will have a big impact on the portfolio because there is room to focus on some things relative to others. And for example, we have a very strong focus on bottom-up security selection. We don't do macro bets. And we are also very attentive to credit quality. So typically, um, we tend to focus on all those, uh, those opportunities that are coming with strong credit quality or very strong entry point in terms of valuations. We like, for example, insurance that typically is less represented as opposed to our portfolio in various indexes and, and other 
references. Um, and we also are very selective on cocoa bonds. This is also something that set us apart from other, from other managers and from other indexes because cocoa bonds might be a little bit technical, but it's probably the, it's definitely the most risky part. It's the lowest part of the capital structure of the bank. It's an instrument that is as hybrid characteristic. It can behave like equity, it can be very painful. And it's a perpetual instrument. So potentially it can extend to forever and then even stop paying the coupon. So you get what a bond never maturing and never paying anything can be worth, right? So it can be pretty nasty. And we're very selective on those. Um, typically we are running less than 20% in this kind of securities, which is the prospectus limit. But you easily see indexes, ETFs or other managers that, for example, are actually investing predominantly in this, uh, in this segment here. So I think in general we are, I think you could describe us as relatively defensive relative to other portfolios. We like insurance a lot at this stage for many reasons. That's also where you find carry quality. <clears throat> and um, we are very selective on cocos. That's the main things. Okay, great. Well, I think it's probably a good time now to look at the key takeaways. So, um, first of all, the risk return profile of European financial debt is quite attractive, particularly when you consider the combination of credit quality with the high yield type uh, return potential. Secondly, this is the one segment of the bond market that has historically outperformed other sectors during periods of higher than average interest rates. And finally, at Nordea, we have a proven financial debt research platform. We have one of the longest track records in the space, and we've outperformed the benchmark consistently over time. So did you have anything to add, Fabio? No, not really. Actually, it would be a very exciting year for the asset class, I think, because this year is due another stress test from the European Banking Authority. This can potentially create some, some dislocation. We actually think, by the way, our uh, defensive approach, especially to cocoa bonds, is very well fit for uh, potential surprises from, from this kind of uh, exercise the regulator is doing. Uh, definitely, it, it would be an interesting year. And the good, the good news is that the higher is the dispersion, the higher is the bigger and larger is the room for us to generate value out of this dispersion. So just that, actually. Fabio, thank you so much for joining us this morning and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you for having me, Paul. It was a pleasure. Right, before we sign off, if you're looking for more information on our views and investment solutions, please do go and visit nordeaassetmanagement.com. See you again in a few weeks.